The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, dealing with verses 18 and 19. Colossians chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. A story is told about uh, Johnny Kerr and his Chicago Bulls. Uh, Kerr tells the story. He says, we had lost seven games in a row, and I decided to give a psychological pep talk before the game with the Celtics. I told Bob Boozer to go out and pretend that he was the best scorer in basketball. I told Jerry Sloan to pretend that he was the best defensive guard. I told Guy Rogers to pretend that he could run an offense better than any other guard, and I told Eric Mueller to pretend that he was the best rebounding, shot-blocking, scoring center in the game. He says, we lost that game by 17. I was pacing around the locker room afterwards trying to figure out what to say when Mueller walked up to me. He put his arm around me and he said, don't worry about it, coach. Just pretend we won. The platter sang it. I am the great pretender. The question is, are we pretending that we're all right? Are we pretending that there's nothing bad or nothing concerning on its way? Are we pretending that there's nothing to worry about? Pretending that nothing is coming? Are we being deceived by those who are deceived and are trying to deceive us and telling us that they're and crying out peace, peace, when there is no peace. Is it a deception to believe that there is any life and hope apart from Christ in any way? See, here's the thing. More and more pulpits in our country are slowly getting away from sermons on Christ and going more and more to, to more sermons on good advice instead of good news. There is a big difference there. A difference that I think that we've got to get. The difference between sermons that are more about giving you good advice than giving you good news. And and here's the thing. If the sermon is good advice, it is not a gospel-based sermon. We just got to get that. We got to see that. And I wonder, family, as we progress, can we tell the difference between a sermon that's gospel-based and one that's gospel-seasoned? Can we tell the difference? Hmm, because this is a big one. This is going to be a biggie for us today. Can we tell the difference? Because I wonder if we understand that there are big cues for us. And here's some of the cues. If the sermon, or I'm sorry, one of the cues is that a gospel season sermon will find its motivation in what we do. So when we're done, Sunday's done, you heard the sermon, you had all the stuff happened, you walked out of here and you're motivated. And if you're motivated to do amazing things for God because the pastor gave us seven things that we should do in order to motivate us to do good things so that we can be pleasing to God, then we know at that point that we just heard a gospel-seasoned sermon. A sermon not gospel-centered will focus on what we need to do. You walk out of here concerned about what we need to do, then in a sense, I missed it. A sermon that's gospel-centered, you will walk out of here rejoicing because of what Christ has done. Now, we hear the gospel. Well, that's what we're doing. We're walking out of here. We're motivated, saying, not, not you know, I got to do this, 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 and if I do this, if I do this, 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 God will be happy with me. No, if we're walking out of here going, man, I have victory in this life because I have an awesome God that did an amazing, amazing thing, and I have victory in Jesus. 
kind of funny, yeah? It's like I remember growing up, you know, it, was, it wasn't uncommon for us to be singing that Victory in Jesus song. You guys remember that? Victory in Jesus, my Savior. Let's, oh, bust out them tambourines. Boy, I'm ready. Okay. Victory in Jesus. Um, you know, we sing it, but then we walk out of here thinking that we're only going to have victory if we can just do what it is that we need to do. And then the burden comes back on. And then we're not walking around in victory. We're walking around depressed. We're walking around in defeat. We already walked out of this church defeated, and the game didn't even start yet. If you walk out of here today thinking that you will be far better because we have a better life, because we know of what Christ has already done and what he promised, he, what that, then we're resting on what he promised and what he's going to do, then we know the gospel was received. Do we believe that Christ is supreme? Do we believe that Christ is sufficient? If we do, then a sermon founded on Christ and Christ alone is going to be enough. Wow, did you get that? It's huge. This is is good nuggets I'm giving you all here. Here it is. Did you get that? If you hear a sermon and all the preacher talked about was Christ, if we believe that Christ is enough, then we're good with it, man. See, and and then just think, this is where where I'm I'm jumping into your house a little bit today, okay? I'm just, I am, I'm going to, I'm just warning you all. So put your seatbelt on. I'm jumping into your house and I'm going to walk around without taking off my shoes, Okay. If we do, then a sermon founded on Christ will be enough. But it's when we hear sermons that are not Christ-centered, it is actually implicitly, okay, implicitly saying and declaring to the world that Christ is not enough and we need more and we've got to add more for life and for godliness. You see, what we're really saying when we're doing it, oh, we need more. Shane, Pastor Shane, we need more. We need more to this. Are we saying that Christ is not enough? Seriously, I mean, think about it for a minute. Is Christ enough to be completely content and happy and know that when we hear a sermon and all, he's, all the pastor's talking about is Christ, is that enough? See, much is being taught and much is being shown today in our culture that Christ is not enough to have a good life. If you want a good, full, complete life, you got to have more than just Jesus. This is essentially what is being said. The pretending, here's where the pretending comes in, is when we think we have the power and we have the ability and we have the potential to be able to bring godly progression by our own strength and our own ability. And the Bible was very clear on this. Who has bewitched you into thinking? Your life began, your new life began in the spirit. Why in the world do you think it would be perfected in the flesh? Paul said that very clearly. Why are you doing this? Your life began because of the work of God. Your life will be sustained because of the work of God, not because of what we do. By our own wit, by our own ingenuity, we think we'll be able to progress by our own passions, by our own desires. Mankind, we look and we say mankind is able to do so much. And many who try to deceive will put on their sheep suit and appear as an angel of light displaying false characteristics, displaying false worship, displaying false experiences, and we absolutely fall for it. Now, here's the thing. We've been in Colossians, and Colossians, remember, I mean, the church in Colossae is being infested by false teachers. They're just all over the place, coming all over the place, right? And so here's the thing. This is what we've got to make sure that we understand. I'm bringing this up. We're talking about it. And many of us sometimes will just be like, oh, man, I ain't deceived. Oh, no, man, I'm good. I, I, don't, I don't fall for none of that kind of stuff. No, we absolutely fall for it. We absolutely believe it. Did you know Time Magazine came out uh, several years ago with, the, with the, most, uh, the most influential evangelicals in America today? 
And I look at the list. When you look at the list, five of them are clear, matter-of-fact heretics, and five of them are clear, matter-of-fact false teachers. Seriously. When you look at it, there's maybe one or maybe two individuals on that list that you could say, I I, I could see that individual being a, a true evangelical. The most influential evangelicals being decided by people are, and the list that they gave, five of them are false teachers, five of them are heretics. That's half the list right there. Most of the worship music that many of our evangelical churches sing, did you know, are written and published by heretical and apostate ministries. Did you know that? And, and we continue to do this and sing their songs and pay them royalties and support these ministries. Do we, is it because we don't notice or is it because we just don't care? We don't care about that stuff. Ah, you know what, Shane, just, you know, that's, that's okay. You know, it's no big deal. It's not doing anything. You know, <laughs> it's just we don't notice. We just don't care. And we continue today, continue to be deceived by the heretics. I've said this before, by the heretics of our generation. People be like, the heretics of our generation, who's that? You know, Martin Luther, you know, he had, you know, his, his, his guys that he was dealing with, Augustine had Pelagius, you know, all these guys, they all had their heretics. Who's the heretic of our generation? I, complete, I come right out and say it, the church consultant. Man, I tell you what, these guys have caused more problems with evangelical churches today than anything. You know, it's just like, hey, you know, it's a simple stuff, you know, maybe not seem like it's all that big a deal, but just things like, you know, hey, if you want more, tr- more people to come to the church, you need to get air conditioning, you know, or we need to make sure that we do this drive so that we can have, you know, uh, coffee cup holders for our pews. You know, we're, we're having church fights and there's church splits because we can't decide what color the carpet in the church should be. Well, but the church con- consultant said that the color of the carpet is ab- absolutely going to affect uh, whether people are going to be thriving in your church. I, I, you know, I just I get calls from these guys all the time. Hey, Shane, all I need is like an hour of your time. I want to just walk through your church, walk through your parking lot, and give you a whole list of things and explain to you what you can do in order to bring more people to your church. It's, it's amazing. As if God did not tell us in Scripture what he wants us to do in the church. Instead of listening to these church consultants, maybe we should be listening to what God has showed us in his scripture and in his word as to what we're supposed to do. But Shane, come on, man. I'm not getting this kind of stuff. I'm not getting it. And, and, you know, it's, it's just, it's so, it's amazing with this church consultant. One of the big things that they do that's really troublesome is, hey, you know what? The most important thing that you got to do for your, your church, Shane, is you got to have a vision. You got to have a vision for the church. You got to have good ideas and you got to put it within a vision and you got to make it marketable and you got to get it out there. You got to get it on your business cards. You got to get it on your cup holders. You know, one guy was even saying, you got to get it on pens. You got to get the get spending. I'm like, how much are that? That's like $1,000 to get our vision put on a pen that we give. All this stuff, and we got to have this stuff. And here's the thing that I told the individual. I'm just like, do you not realize that God didn't call us to vision cast in churches. Do you know that? Do you know why we don't vision cast in churches? Because he already gave us the vision. It's already done. He gave the church its mission. And here's the thing I say, I, I say all the time. It's funny. We go and we want, oh, we want to have the vision. We got to do all this kind of stuff. What's wrong with the vision that we got from Scripture. It's almost like you're saying when you got a vision cast, you don't agree with the vision of Scripture. We got to figure out another one. Right? He made it really clear. The mandate given to the church was what? Go into the world and make what? Has that changed? I never got the memo. Did you get the memo? I didn't get the memo. I would like to see a copy of the memo. Can you give me a copy of the voicemail that you got from the Archangel Michael telling you that the vision changed? It, nothing has changed. And you know what's amazing about the vision? The vision that God gives us, the mission that he gave us to go you therefore into all the world. Do you know he tells us how he wants us to do that? Really clear, makes it simple. How are we supposed to do that? Implicitly, we preach the gospel of Jesus. And then what? Then we baptize them 
And then we do what? Teach them everything I have commanded you. So not only did he give us the mission statement, he also told us the strategic plan as to how he wants us to fulfill it. So what are we doing? This is what I'm saying. This stuff is getting in the church. It's getting in our minds. So we're doing these kinds of things and actually abandoning the mission that God had already given to the church. We know the mission of the church already. We know how we're supposed to do it. So what we do here at Central Baptist Church is we have plans as to how we accomplish this within our context. But what happens is is we continue to be deceived by these people. Do you know that church consultants will actually even tell me that I'm wearing the wrong kind of glasses? This is the wrong kind of glasses. These these are not church planter glasses. That's what we call them. You got to have church planter glasses if you want to be successful in ministry. But we are deceived by this people. I hear it all the time. I just heard it this past week. Hey, Shane, you know what? The Bible says without a vision, the people perish. Some of you might have even been thinking that, going, oh, of course we're supposed to get cast a vision, Shane. Bible says without a vision, people perish. You know what? Check this off. Add this to the list, the long list of most misused scriptures in the Bible. What that scripture is actually telling us is without God's revelation, the people will perish because they will cast off their restraints. Essentially, that's what that passage of Scripture is saying. Without God's law, the people will perish because they will cast off their strength, their restraints, and they're going to do what their sin- sinful little minds want to do. What in the world does that passage of Scripture have to do with vision casting? Nothing. So stop using it. we got to stop using it. And we are being deceived by the church consultants and all of these people with, to use that scripture in a way that that scripture is not intended to be used. It's a lie, and we're falling for it, family. Come on, we know it. Some of us have grown up, and you know, where it got really big is kind of like the late 80s, early 90s. Remember all that, you know, the, the vision casting campaigns that we need to do in order to get bigger and better buildings? Yeah, I mean, it's just one, one of my friends was so caught up into it because he absolutely believed that the church would not grow if they did not have a lobby in the church that served cappuccino. And all the money and everything was just with this. And one of the scriptures that he used all the time to promote this was without a vision, people will perish. This is the vision. And then he shows up on the screen this huge, awesome cafe. They spent almost a million dollars on that cafe to build that cafe. And did you know that it didn't affect the bottom line at all? People are not coming to church because of good cappuccino. I'll be honest with you, that stuff doesn't work. Did you know that that people don't come to churches because they change their names? That's a popular thing that's happening right now. We gotta change the name of the church. And if we do that, that people will come in. People are spending thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars changing the name of the church and changing the flyers, changing the business card, changing the sign that's out there. You know what's, you know what's amazing? Hey, have you guys ever bought a, a banner? Or have you guys ever bought a sign before? Richard, you know what I'm talking about with the signs? Yeah, because Richard, you know, he's in marketing, advertising, all that kind of stuff. You know how much those things cost? I mean, those things are huge expensive you know what I'm saying? It's just like, man. And that was the other thing, too, that was blowing me away about some of the protests that we saw over the past couple of years. The, the signs that they had, man, that they were marching with. I'm looking at that sign going, oh, my gosh, that sign is amazing. I know that cost $10,000. Talk about funding. Woo, baby, they got funding for their signs. We're lying to ourselves if we think that we're not being deceived by the false teachers. The reality of all of this, false teachers today, like they always have been, may disqualify you. And that's why this is important for us today. Paul, in this passage of scripture that we're going to talk about, he is telling us why they're so dangerous. Do not let them disqualify you. All they're pretending could indeed deprive you of your reward. It could deprive you of your prize. And it will deprive you, even deprive you of your future glory. 
Oh, Shane, stop stressing about the false teachers. Leave them alone. They're not hurting anybody. We don't need to hear about them. They're not affecting me. Yes, they are. They are dangerous and they are everywhere. They are menacing and they are everywhere. They are perilous and they are everywhere. They are unstable and they are everywhere. They are pervasive and all over the map. Family, I'm being serious. And remember what I've been saying. One of the big things God has shown me since my surgery, you know, me and Janine were talking about this yesterday. I think like my surgery was kind of like a resurrection for me. Like, you know, some of you will think, and you guys will say stuff like that. Like, I've just kind of been a different person since I've done that. Many of you will say, Shane, you've been preaching differently since that time. Do you know why? Because here's the reality of all of this stuff. Christianity is not a game It's not a self-help club. There is a war that's happening today, and every sermon that I preach is a life and death sermon, heaven and hell situation. This is super important. Family, do you realize that people are in our country getting shot because they're complaining about French fries being cold? Did you guys heard that in the news? I'm still trying to decide. I'm still trying to figure out if it's real or not. Somebody got shot because of a dispute over cold French fries. People are getting shot for this stuff today. Family, you remember I told you several years ago, there was a lady that was sitting back there and she was hearing and she was listening to the sermon. After church was over, she left and got into a car accident right out there and she died. Or right out here and she died. I get turned around in this church. I, like, I, I don't know where I'm at. She got in an accident right over here and died. This is the last sermon that you could potentially hear. I'm not going to sit over here and talk to you and lie to you about how all you got to do is just, you know, serve God in this area and God will make your 401k spike 50% next week. You know, all this kind of stuff. Family, this is not a game. People are going to have an accident and you are going to be face to face with the living God. Are you ready? Because in reality, family, when it comes to this, I'm not worried about your self-esteem. I'm worried about your soul. But Shane, how do we identify these guys? If they're so dangerous, I want nothing from them. Does the scriptures tell us? The scripture shows us right here in our passage today. Colossians chapter 2, verses 18 to 19. Colossians chapter 2, verses 18 to 19. Do not let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying that they've had had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud. They are not connected to Christ, the head of the body, for he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We pray that it continues to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Because today we say, we declare, we recognize that your word is more precious than gold. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're taking notes, the first thing we're going to look at today is the different characteristics that we see Paul and Timothy describing of the false teachers in Colossae. And it gives us a framework to describe the work and character of false teachers. So that's the first thing. And the second thing we're going to look at is some of the wonderful realities of those who are connected to the body of Christ. And that one specific reality is that God will nourish us. Oh, that's huge huge family. So the thesis statement today is this. So remember me, I'm trying to wrap up the entire sermon in one sentence. I love the way um, Brian Chappell will actually say this. He goes, your thesis statement, it's, it's the answer to the question that your wife asks you uh, right before Sunday morning. When you know, as pastors, we wake up, you know, we get ready and all this stuff and our wife will ask us the question. So what's the sermon about, honey? And you don't want to be rude, right, and say, I don't know. I don't know. Just, just come to church today, and you'll hear it. Now, this, is, this is me trying to answer my wife, okay? Though sin and the pattern of this world cause us to come under the deception of false teachers, it is the power of the Holy Spirit, the Scriptures, and the fruit of being connected to Christ that will cause us to see that our source of life and our true fulfillment is in Christ. Here's the big one. For our culture today, I'm saying it from the rooftops, in Christ alone. 
Number one, false characteristics. Not only what they do, but it's who they are. So remember, Paul and Timothy, they're addressing the problem of false teachers who came into the church and they were bringing their false teaching and all that stuff that were undermining two very important things that I, this is why I say I think the book of Colossians is so timely. It's so today. Because in Colossae, when you look at what it was that they were teaching, uh, is some of the stuff that we see from what they were teaching the church in Colossae, it was undermining two very important things. The first thing it was undermining, their teaching undermines, was Christ's supremacy. That Christ is not the ultimate authority. Number two, his sufficiency. Basically saying that Christ was not enough. So he's not in charge. He's not totally in charge. He's not supreme over all creation. And number two, he's not enough. If all you have is Christ, they're saying it's not enough. You need more. And that's essentially what our culture is giving us today. That's what our culture is saying, that Christ is not enough. Christ is not enough. And stay away from even saying the word Christ. You know that in seminaries today, they're teaching students to not even say the word Christ. They're teaching us not to do that. Why, are they, why do they say that? They said, you know why? Because if you say Christ in a sermon, immediately you're going to divide that church. Seriously, right? It does. You say Christ, man, it just all of a sudden the gloves come out and, you know, we're we, we going, right? We're going. It's, it's fighting time. You say God, well, that unifies everybody, now, doesn't it? Ooh, man. Ooh, man, everybody believes in God. So Christ is, was the big thing. So they're undermining Christ, the sufficiency of Christ. This is why I like to continue to say that our hope and our life and our fulfillment is in Christ and in Christ alone. Okay, it's, more, it's not enough to just say Christ now. I can't believe you have to say this now. You have to say in Christ alone. Okay. All right, I know that I know some of us might think that salvation comes from Christ and the, our Costco cards. You know, Christ and our Republican card. You know, it's, you know, it's all this stuff. It's Christ and Christ and Christ. And we, we got to add to this stuff. It's just, no, it's Christ and in Christ alone. So the great pretenders, they came into the church in Colossae and they were doing their thing. And because they were, the Colossians were in danger of being deprived of the prize. So the, uh, the translation that I use today, it says condemn. Condemn is a, a perfectly fine uh, translation. Some of you may have disqualification. Uh, some of your translations may say disqualify all this stuff. But the idea in the picture of that Greek phrase in there is saying, don't let these people disqualify you in the race that you're on and disqualify you from being able to get that prize. So it's a game, you know, I know I said Christianity is not a game and he's using a game situation. Yeah, so he's, we're running a race, running the race, and what the false teachers are doing is they're doing things to you saying, hey, you know what, man, what you need to do is some of this blood doping stuff, man. It'll make you, you know, all this stuff, and, and take some of the steroids and all this stuff, and then you get caught in what? Now you're disqualified from the race. That's what these false teachers, this is what Paul was saying. Don't let these guys disqualify you. Don't let them take this prize from you. Don't let them rob you of your future glory. Now, commentators will say, well, does this mean salvation? Does it not mean salvation? All this stuff. And so some commentators are going back and forth on this stuff. Does it mean that they can disqualify you to the point where you transgress something of God that's so much, so much in such a way where it disqualifies you from actually becoming a Christian and all that stuff? So some commentators are debating on this stuff. My issue is this. I don't think we need to debate or figure out, and, and it, this passage of Scripture depends solely on the specifics of that. Do you know why? Because in the end, either way, we want nothing to do with these characters. Whether they're going to disqualify us with salvation or disqualify us with earthly prize and earthly rewards and earthly victory that we have in Christ, we don't want anything to do with them. That's the point that Paul is giving us here. That's the thing. Don't let them disqualify you. Don't let them mess you up. Don't let them destroy you. 
Don't let these people do that, Just Stay away from them. Paul even said, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, the mutilators of the flesh. Watch out. Stay away from these guys. Don't listen to them. Because let me tell you about these guys. These guys, they delight in false humility. Now, what he's going to do is he's going to give us characteristics that they were not necessarily characteristics of what the Colossians were trying or what the false teachers were trying to get the Colossians to do. It was more Paul was trying to give them their or trying to point out their characteristics. So he says, let me tell you what they are like. False humility is the first one. John Blanchard in his in Table Talk, he had a, there was an article he had in Table Talk and he writes this. If we try to give the impression of humility, we may be deceiving others but we are certainly not deceiving God. Oswald Chambers was right to call conscious humility the most satanic type of pride. False humility invites attention to itself. True humility is unconscious. I thought that was really insightful. How many of us today are affected by this? False humility. The false teachers boast of a humility that they do not really feel. They advertise humility, but their hearts are full of huge conceit. Humility sells, right? And think about it. Why would they want to show a humility when they're teaching? Because humility sells. Humility brings trust. I can get you to trust me if you can see that I'm a humble person. Humility brings interest Humility brings vulnerability. Now you feel like you can be vulnerable with me. Nobody, I'm going to say this, I say this kind of you know, tongue-in-cheek today in our culture today because I wonder about our culture today. But for the most part, nobody is going to listen to somebody who is arrogant, conceited, and full of themselves. <laughs> so if that's how you really are when you're up here teaching, yeah, people are probably not going to listen to you. If you want to make money in the church, you got to be humble. Even if you're not, you got to be humble. This is what Paul is talking about, the false humility that was being displayed by these false teachers. And we got to, we got to see it. And it's there. And it's so deceptive when it comes to humility. I mean, don't, I mean, I've been here now for five years. Don't you see that I'm the most humble person in the world? Look, can't you guys see just how amazingly humble I am? I am so humble that God will judge you harshly if you don't think I'm humble. <laughs> there was this one false teacher, um, really, really popular. Just really, he just, he, when he did these crusades, there were just thousands of people would come. And, and one, one of the times I was having a conversation with uh, one of the people that worked for his ministry. And, and it was, uh, it was amazing. He would travel with bodyguards. Uh, they, they still do that today? I don't, I don't know. I haven't really been keeping up on that stuff. Oh, they do? They still travel with bodyguards and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, okay. So this one guy, he had bodyguards, he had like four bodyguards. And then just everywhere he goes, these guys are with him, you know, and he's doing his thing. And so I'm talking and having a conversation with one of the, one of the bodyguards and we're, we're talking. And, uh, anyway, so one of his jobs was, is after he got done preaching his event, they would, the bodyguards would go backstage because he'd be backstage. There's always that backstage area where they have the M&Ms and the cookies and all that stuff, right? I like to go backstage just so I could get some of that. But they would go backstage and he would say, all right, when I was preaching... There was a girl up there. She was in a red dress. Um, and then over here, there was a girl in a brown dress. Uh, there was a girl here. She's just wearing jeans, and I think she had some kind of hat on. And just would tell the bodyguards of all these ladies that he saw while he was preaching. And it was their job to go out and get them after it was done. Yeah, and bring them back. And they would go up to the ladies and say, hey, so, I almost said his name, so-and-so. <laughs> wants you to come back because he's really interested in sharing with you uh, something from the Lord. But it wasn't that. that, that was, it wasn't that. You know what it was. That, that's, that's what happens. So the thing I'm saying is like, he's up there preaching, really humble, 
just humble, but so arrogant <laughs> that he thought that he could just pick any girl out of the crowd and, you know, that he was interesting enough that they would actually go back there. Problem is, probably right, because a lot of them did go back there, and that's what the reason why he did what he did. The arrogance of some of these guys, of what they would do, and just how horrible, they, uh, uh, that's how horrible. So, you know, so after I heard that, I'm just like, man, in the church, I don't know if it's a blessing to be beautiful. <laughs> it might actually be a curse. So women, don't, don't try too hard. You get the, that, that TV evangelist will come after you. The other thing is not only was there false humility, but finally there's false teachers that display false worship. So you saw false humility and there's false worship. Now what Paul was talking about here in the Colossians were the false teachers were caught up with their worship of angels. So there's so many different ways of looking at this, but from what it seems like a consensus putting it all together, the false teachers were so caught up with their angelology, their study of angels, there's there's so much angel speculation and so much adoration towards the angels that Paul was saying that these guys were doing this so much that it actually comes across or actually is a false worship of angels. There's so much angelology, so much speculation, so much more than their study of God that in a serious way, they are worshiping angels more than they are worshiping God. Because what they did was they looked to the angels as to what the angels provided. They saw how what the angels have helped, how angels have rescued them. And so the false teachers were looking to the angels for provision, looking to the angels for salvation, looking to the angels for uh, uh, comfort, looking to the angels for this instead of looking to God for this. And so what he's saying is that in reality, this was false worship. When we look to the creation more than the creator, it's false worship. False, uh, uh, um, what was I saying? Oh yeah, false worship. Yeah, amen, brother. Many of the false teachers today spend so much time discussing the exploits of men who have done the extraordinary. Many times in sermons, you'll hear more about methods and exploits of other performances of men and women more than we would hear about the person and the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we hear more about this. Right? Do you get that? Rome does this with Mary. Do you know why? It's like you ask Christ for something, Christ is not granting your request, right? So Rome will say, then you know what you need to do is you need to ask Mary. Why? Because if you remember in, at the wedding, when Jesus was like, you know, hey, we're running out of wine. And Jesus is like, that's not my time. And Mary, and then so they were talking about the situation. What did Mary do? Do what he tells you to do. And essentially saying, you know, my son is going to do what you need him to do. They said, Mary will do that for you. Go to Mary. Mary will ask Jesus to do that miracle for you. This is why we, they pray to Mary. If God doesn't listen, try asking the angels. You can try asking Mary. You can try asking the saints. You can try asking living saints. You can try asking popular preachers. God might listen to them. But the Bible says that there is only one mediator. At many of the services, it may not actually be false worship of worshiping the wrong God, right? Because would you say that if I was worshiping the wrong God, I was committing uh, idolatry? Yeah, we would all agree, right? If I'm worshiping the wrong God, I'm committing idolatry. Did you know that you can worship the right God and commit idolatry? This is the second commandment. This is what the second commandment was about. Don't make idols. You don't fashion all of these kinds of things. You don't do these types of things when it comes to worshiping me. You don't worship me that way. It was an affront. This is false worship. There is worship of the right God the wrong way. And we will be judged for that, family. Oh, man. People will say in our culture today, hey, look, as long as you're worshiping Jesus, it doesn't matter how we're doing it. Wrong. 
That is absolutely wrong. That's the mentality. Hey, Shane, just leave them alone. They're worshiping the right Jesus. No, they're not. I mean, yes, they're worshiping the right Jesus, but they're doing it in the wrong way. And that is affecting the worship of God. That is idolatry. It is false worship. Yeah, you want to worship Christ, but your services is nothing but BMX bike, you know, tricks and stuff and, and circus clowns walking around on the stage. Oh, yeah, you're worshiping Jesus, but you're worshiping Jesus with a circus. Using congregation as your test subjects to try out your music and lyrics to elicit an emotional response. Do you know that there's churches that will pump gold glitter out of their vents and tell everybody that it is the glory of God? People trancing, having seizures, singing songs written and published by apostate ministries. Did you know that there's such a thing as Christian tarot cards? Did you know that there are people, that Christians are playing with Christian spirit boards now? Christian spirit boards. Horror scopes. Zodiac signs and the power of suggestions. Family, Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. Exodus 24. You must not make for yourself an idol or any kind of image of anything in the heavens or on the earth. Do you know that when the Israelites made that golden calf, they were worshiping the right God? They were. This is the God that delivered us from Egypt. This is the God that delivered us from Egypt. They were worshiping the right God. They were doing it in the wrong way. And that's why they were judged. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1. Leviticus 10, 1. Super important that we get this family. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, put coals of fire in their incense burners and sprinkled incense over them. In this way, they disobeyed the Lord by burning before him the wrong kind of fire. Different from what he had commanded. They offered strange fire to God and he judged them for it. You know, they were supposed to offer fire to God. They were just supposed to offer the right kind of fire to God. Family, it is so important that we get this. It is important that we worship the right God the right way. Anything other than that is false worship. And here's a biggie, false revelations. They go on and on about what they've seen in visions. Um, the sense is, is that they go on and on about what they have experienced from God. Visions, dreams, you know, the horrific, I, I, you guys know this about me, the horrific God told me stuff. You know, when people do the God told me thing, it's just like, like it's just, it's so, it's, so, it's so discouraging with the God told me stuff, right? Because this is a huge validator. It's really important that we get this. That it's a huge validator, I mean, think about it. It's credibility. Watch this. Let me give you an example. There is a special Bible study on, on Monday night where I'm going to share with you from the scriptures a description from heaven. Yeah, maybe a couple people might show up. <laughs> or Monday night's the special night where a person who actually went to heaven is going to come and share with us what he saw. This is common. Revelation, dreams, all this stuff. You know, let me share with you from the Bible what I read this morning and let, you, let me tell you about, you know, what, what God showed me. Or let me share with you from the Bible what I read this morning. Or, and let me tell you about the fact that I fell into this huge trance and I was in this trance for a couple of days and the big vision that God showed me when that happened. If God is speaking to you personally, did you know that you and your ministry is now validated? See, that's, that's the reason why they do this. this. That's the reason why they have to bring this part in. Because if I can show you and prove to you that there is some kind of supernatural contact that's happening between me and God, it validates my ministry to you. And that's the thing in our culture that's bad. The validating thing for ministries is experience. It's not the gospel. This is where we're losing it. This is where we're getting deceived. The false teachers in Paul's day, they loved to do this. It gave them a reason as to why people should listen to them. If God is talking to them, then they're special. So go listen to this brother because he's special because God is speaking to them. 
And we like special, don't we? We like special people. We want to be special people. It's special. It's, it's the continued thing. And it's, it's amazing about how, how you hear sermons and you hear, I mean, maybe not even direct false teachers, but you just hear sermons. It's like a common thing. It's like a validating thing. Well, let me, let me, let me tell you what God told, let me show you what God told me today. Let me tell you what God told me last night. You know, and this is what's really funny to me, family. And I'm, I'm just being honest, okay? I'm just being honest with you guys here. This is what's funny. God told me, and then what you do is you give me an, a, a, a complete sentence. God told me that what we need to do is we need to go buy the pastor some brand new alligator shoes. Oh, I'm going to say amen to that. Okay, thank you. <laughs> but God told me that what we need to do is we need to, uh, you know, uh, dec- uh, paint our elevator pur- uh, purple. Something. Just whatever. God told, God told me this. And I was just like always like wondering, like, like what, 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 what do you mean God told you? What, what do you mean God tells you? And, and so here's the thing that I always said, why I'm suspect. I'm always suspect when people say God told me, say that it's not verbal. They always say that, right? Well, no, no, no. It wasn't a verbal. It wasn't an audible voice. Okay? God speaks to you, not in an audible voice, but to you in your mind in complete sentences. Can you show me one instance in Scripture where that actually happened? Not one instance in Scripture where God speaks to people in their minds in complete sentences. It does not happen. When when people are saying, God told me, do you know what he did? When God spoke to that individual, he spoke to them audibly. They could hear the voice. Where, where are we getting this God spoke to me stuff and, and God speaks it in our minds in complete sentences? Are you kidding me? Why are we doing this? Why are we believing this? Why? Because this is what people do to validate their ministry so that you look and you go, oh, well, God speaks to him. So there's something special about him. So therefore, let's give him money and support that ministry. You know what else the God told me thing happens with the, with the, the false teachers? It's a trump card. Like, it like ends the conversation. We're having a conversation about a certain theological thing. All they got to do is, well, you know what, Shane? God told me that this is the way it is. Well, I guess the conversation's over. I guess the debate is over. <laughs> I, I'm not going to, I can't disagree with God, can I? I can't, I can't, I can't do that. But you can't say that because, you know, you want to say, but it goes against what the Bible says. Well, you know what some of these guys will tell me? Well, Shane, don't you think that what God tells me trumps what the Bible even says? They've said that to me. I'm not, I'm, this is not a straw man that I'm beating up. This is what they will absolutely say to you. Doesn't what God shows me in my vision trump what Scripture has to say? So what they're saying is, I don't even care what Scriptures you bring up. This is what God told me, this is what God showed me, and this is what we're going to do. Now, we think that it's all fun and games till this stuff starts happening with your family members. Mm-hmm. And, and I got to deal with that because this kind of stuff happens with my family members where they get caught up in this kind of stuff. But Shane, you don't understand, this person hears from God. My question is, God, does God talk to him audibly? No. Oh, does he talk to him in visions? No. Does God talk to him in dreams? No. How does God talk to him then? By complete sentences that, of a voice inside of their head. Think about it, family. Come on. Let's not be gullible here. A voice inside of their heads. Do you know what we do with people who hear voices? <sighs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we give them ministries. <laughs> they make plenty of money. <laughs> Come, this is the thing, and that's what I keep saying. Where in Scripture do we find this behavior? Where? It's not anywhere in Scripture, family. God doesn't speak to people this way. If God's going to speak to you, He's going to speak to you. And you know what, family? And I say this every single day. Every single morning when I wake up, God speaks to me. Absolutely speaks to me. 
when I open up the Bible and I read what he has to say. I heard this one, I heard this one uh, person, oh gosh, I forgot his name. It's not important what his name is, but he was doing this thing and he goes, God speaks to you through his word. If you want God to speak to you audibly, read it out loud. Justin Peters, yeah, there you go. <laughs> that was great. It's his word. Family, it's his word. And I guarantee it. You know, sometimes you go, oh, I, I hear, I think this is God speaking to me. Well, do you know that for sure? I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. You know what? I don't play that game. When, I, when God speaks to me, I don't play that game because if it comes from Scripture, it is God's Word. All Scripture is breathed out by God, useful for teaching, correcting, and rebuking, and training in righteousness. There it is. It is God's word. If you want God to speak to you, read his word. Douglas Moo, Dr. Doug Moo, who writes this, on this view, the false teachers are hung up on the visions that they have been receiving, relating them endlessly to anyone who would listen and perhaps bragging about them as well. He says their minds, the, the Paul and Timothy, let's go to Paul and Timothy, their minds are sinful. And with all this, they become the opposite of what they purport to be. They become proud. They become puffed up. Dr. Doug Moo writes, it's possible that these false teachers, as false teachers often do, were talking on intellectual airs, priding themselves on their superior minds. Paul's characterization would then be directly polemical. They have minds, all right, but minds that are thoroughly orientated to the world rather than to the next. The reality of this, it puffs them up. They become prideful. They become arrogant. You know, so, and so here's, here's, here's the thing, family. What happens is, is like I'm having a, a conversation with a very well-known, you guys would know his name, a very well-known a person who I consider to be a false teacher. We're talking about this, and we're having an, an, an argument about something that he's doing, something that he was teaching, something that he got from a bad interpretation that he got from Scripture. Did you know that he was actually teaching people that you do not get on your knees humbly before God and make your requests known to him? He says, you don't do that, because the Bible says, command ye me the works of mine hands. So he says, the Bible tells us that you are to go into the presence of God and you don't ask him, you tell him what he needs to do. You command him, you demand that he give you what it is that you want. This is what he was teaching, okay? This is, this is what we're going So we're having a conversation about this, okay? We're having a conversation about this and I'm talking to him. We're, we're going to the Hebrew because what I'm trying to say is like that Old Testament passage of scripture in Isaiah that he was talking about, that you were misunderstanding that, that in, in all actuality, the sense of it is essentially the, 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 the way to read it would be concerning the works of my hands. Who are you to command me? Is really what he was saying. So in, in the King James version that he was reading when he said, command ye me the works of my hands, it should have been read more like, command ye me the works of my hands? That's how you should have read it in the King James. But, but he didn't. So he was telling everybody that you need to command. So I'm talking to him. I'm giving him the, the breakdown. I'm showing him in the Hebrew, the tense, all those types of things of how he's using those verbs and how this is not the way he's supposed to be doing. And you know, he got up and he told me, Shane, you are the most arrogant person I know. You think that just because you went to seminary and you learned how to read Greek and you learned how to read Hebrew, that you are better than me and you know more than me and he, said, he was like, you know, so you are full of conceit. You are full of pride. You are an arrogant person. And I just sat there and I was like, okay, I'm so sorry if I came across that way. But, you know, but here's the thing I said to him. And family, I said this with all care in my heart. You know what's funny is that you say that because I got educated that I'm prideful and I'm arrogant and I know more than you. My question to you is this, what makes you so special that you didn't have to get educated? <laughs> Seriously, then this is what I want to say to all the uh, people that are out there that are doing this. What makes you so special that you don't need an education? I don't need an education. I don't need to study. I don't need to do all of this stuff. I can just get up there and be a pastor and I can do all this stuff. I can preach all these sermons. What makes you so special that you didn't have to study to show thyself approved? 
Man, you could have heard a pin drop in that room. The arrogance. Arrogance is so there. It's so there. <laughs> you know? It was, it, was, it, was just, it was just oozing from it. And this is what Paul is saying, is that all these visions, all these things, all these experiences, all the stuff that they have, it puffs them up. It puffs them up to the point that they get to the place where they can speak above an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. No. Uh-uh. This is the reality of the false teaching that was going on at the time in Colossae. This is the reality of what's happening today. The reality of false teachers and their deception runs deep. It's like that ancient parable of that dog, the fabled dog who he was carrying a bone in his mouth and he paused and he saw the reflection in his water and, and he's looking at the mirrored prize. He said, I got a bone in my hand, but there's a dog that has another bone. I got to go get that dog. I got to go get that bone. And so the dog went to go get that bone and dropped the bone that was in his mouth so that he could bite at the bone he saw in the reflection and realize that it wasn't a bone at all. Is this what's going to happen to us in our culture today? Dropping everything that we have to reach out and grab what we see in the reflection. And then when we finally grab a hold of it, we realize that it's not what you thought it was. And what makes things worse is you're going to look back and see all that you gave up to get it. Family, we don't have to do this. Losing so much because of this. This is a warning passage that Paul and Timothy, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote so that we can see the reality of those who will rise up from within our ranks and bring a great deception. The Lord wants us to be aware and the Lord wants us to be sure. It's clear that there are negative effects of false teaching, so much so that they could actually disqualify you from your prize, from your reward, from your future glory. How horrible is that? And we're the ones, we're not going to be able to blame them, family. We're not. We're not going to be able to stand before Jesus and say, but he told me. You know why we're not going to be able to do that? Because God's going to tell us, I told you. I told you. The Bible warns us about this over and over and over again. Why do we not listen? Why do we keep falling for this? Why do we keep walking? It's like I always talk about those of us, like in our world today, it's like we're, we're sinners and so we're distracted by shiny objects. You ever, you ever went hiking with somebody who's distracted by shiny objects? You know, like you're hiking and you're trying to get going and oh, 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 look, there's a Pepsi can. Oh, oh look, there's a bag of Cheetos. You know, it's just like, can, can we go? Can we move on? Why are we stopping to look at Cheetos? And, and it's shiny objects. We're attracted to shiny objects. See all these things. We're just constantly distracted. We're walking the straight narrow. You know what? I'm just, I'm just going to follow what the Bible has to say. Follow what the Bible has to say. And then the TV comes on and we're looking at the TV and follow what the Bible has to say. Well, that's really interesting what they're doing over there. And it's like, you know, people, wow. Oh. And now we're distracted. And now we're building sermons instead of on scripture, we're building sermons on what we saw in Stranger Things on Netflix. And see, and here's the most devastating thing, family. Paul says that they're disconnected from Christ. But what the false teachers do not have is what Paul makes clear in his condemnation. Those of us in the body of Christ are indeed connected to Christ. And to be connected to Christ is to be part of the body of Christ. So that's what these false teachers were doing. Paul was saying that these guys are not connected to Christ. And you keep messing with this stuff and you're going to find yourself not connected to Christ. And that would be a horrible thing. Because as Christians, that's the thing that we hold on to. Right? That's the thing that I wake up in the morning and I feel victorious because I can say, yes, there's all these things that are happening in this world, but I'm going to say this. I am united with Christ covered by the blood of Jesus. 
And those of us in the body of Christ are indeed connected to Christ. And to be connected to Christ is to be part of the body of Christ. And we will see that those who are connected to the body of Christ will be held together by Christ as God the Father causes us all to grow. So you know what? We don't have to pretend. I'm not pretending that everything is going to be all right. I know everything is going to be all right. I know everything is going to be all right. God promised it, didn't he? All things will work together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. We don't need what the false teachers are peddling. We don't need to pretend. We don't need it because we have more than enough in Christ. We can only grow if we are in Christ. But how can we be in Christ when we have fallen so far of deserving any of this? Because the sinful minds are not just in those of the false teachers. We all have sinful minds. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says there is no one on earth who always does good and never sins. The Lord looked upon the earth and saw that the hearts of men was only evil continually, continuously. The Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags to the Lord and the wages of sin is death. That's the reality. That's what we're faced with every single day. So why are we not condemned by God? Why are we not all condemned to face the wrath of God for eternity? Why not? Because once again, God, you will have compassion on us and you will trample our sins under your feet and you will throw them into the depths of the ocean. Salvation is here. Salvation is here. There's hope for us. But it's not found in all of these things, all these artificial things. It is found in Christ and in Christ alone. There is life for us when we are connected with Christ. This can happen because of what Christ has done. The Bible says Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he was raised on the third day all according to the scriptures. That the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He came to seek and save that which was lost. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the gospel of Jesus. This is why we can wake up every single day and step out in the morning. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And the promises continue that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, the Bible promises we will be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Lord is gracious, gracious with compassion. The Lord is slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all his creation family. When we are connected to Christ, he will cause us to grow. He who began a good work in us will be faithful to bring it to completion at the day of the Lord. So family, yes, watch out for those false teachers in our land today. But always rejoice. Central Baptist, Christian, today, rejoice and again, I say rejoice because today you are connected to Christ and your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy, your grace, your compassion. Lord God, I pray that you continue to help us to walk in step with the truth of the gospel, to be encouraged by the gospel. Father, I pray that you help us to be strong in the Lord, for us to not be distracted, to not be deceived. Had we know, you, Jesus said it, that there are going to be those that are going to come that would deceive even the elect if it were possible. God, I pray that you give us the mind of Christ and give us the grace to be able to stand on the truth, recognizing that it's the grace of Christ. It's by grace that we stand. Father, help us, Lord, to be salt and light in this world. God, there, there may be some here today that came in and 
Father, they've never heard the gospel and they heard the gospel for the first time. Lord, I pray that you move upon their heart, that they will become born again, that they will see the kingdom of heaven, that they will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and by believing they will have life in his name. God, I pray for salvations today. Father, I pray that there are many of us that, that we came in here and we were discouraged and we just didn't know. Many of us might have come in here deceived, but Father, I pray and we thank you for the truth, the truth of your word and what we see in your word and what we've learned from your word. And God, I pray that it continues to be a light for us. God, I thank you that we are connected to Christ. We are united with Christ and that the Lord God of all creation will continue to nourish us, that we will grow in grace and knowledge. And so God, I pray that you will help us all to live lives worthy of the Lord, to live lives worthy of the calling. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.